Reading from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 and 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest upon the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they threw the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. I ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. So Jonah and the fish... Many of you have heard of about a whale, but there's no whale mentioned in the Bible. I, it's a minor point, but one that I like to make. <laughs> and this story is one of my favorite stories of all time. And it's one that was probably given to us as a child, right? It's a children's story, after all. It's a story about fleeing from God, as we heard uh, Karen explained to the children, you can't run away from God, uh, even if, as we, as we just told our children, God's going to destroy a city and all the people in it. I don't know, I don't mean to criticize Karen, but maybe that's a little harsh for kids to hear. <laughs> but that only serves to point out that really Jonah is not meant as a children's story. It's not written as a children's story. Uh, this really isn't, uh, I mean, it's a great story. It's got, fi- you know, it's got fish in it and, and Jonah and all this. I mean, it lends itself to telling children. But there are aspects of this story clearly that, have, that children are not meant to be privy of or probably won't understand when we get into it. There's more going on here than just don't flee from God. And the first thing I want to say about Jonah is that it is, if, uh, it is one of the finest examples of early Hebrew write, rhetoric, early Hebrew writing uh, and uh, fable writing. I don't mean that as a derogatory thing. I mean it's, it's, a, it's a great story in the first place, one that was probably originally told around a campfire, but then when they decided to write it down, they... They employed the, some of the best Hebrew literary techniques known at the time. And so it's a fantastic example of Hebrew writing. It's a great story written very well. Uh, a lot of things that, unless you're reading it in Hebrew, probably would be lost on us. So we miss something when we, when we don't read it in its original language. 
The other thing I would say about Jonah is that it is a it is a com- it needs to be understood in the context of a post-exile Jewish community. The exile happened uh, around 700 700 years before Christ when when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and they dragged the people of God out and uh, held them in captive in Jerusalem or in in Damascus and eventually they got to come back when they got a benevolent leader in the Assyrian Empire the Babylonian Empire eventually they got to come back and it's when they came back is when Jonah was probably first written down. Probably around 500, 600 years before Christ. And the reason that is significant is because the Hebrew people were subjugated by the Assyrians prior to the Babylonians, and then they were subjugated by the Babylonians. The Assyrians completely wiped out the northern kingdom. They're gone. They they hauled them away and assimilated them into the Assyrian culture and their whole culture was gone. They happened to preserve some of, our, some of the stories. And the people of God, the people in Jerusalem, were hauled off to exile by the Babylonians and returned. Nineveh is a mighty and a great city that was part of the Assyrian Empire. The most threatening group of people to the Hebrew to the exiled and the returned Hebrew people what they feared the most was Assyrian aggression coming from what is now it's now Iraq Nineveh was probably what is now Iraq but then it was uh, the heart of the Assyrian empire so in this story Jonah is told by God go to Nineveh Go to your enemy. Go to that who, those people whom you fear the most. Even more so, go to those people whom you despise, whom you hate, whom you loathe. Those people who you would just as soon spit on and tell them to repent and turn their hearts to God. And Jonah says, no. <laughs> I refuse. Not because Jonah was scared of what God would do. By the fact that, by the fact that, God, that he's running away from God says, I'm not really concerned about what God's going to do. So he heads to Tarshish. Tarshish is, most scholars think, it's in Spain. So getting as far away from, God says go to Nineveh, Jonah runs this way. It's about as far away from Nineveh as you could probably get. And he grabs a boat in Joppa. And uh, the big storm comes up and everyone's freaking out. They're throwing things overboard and Jonah is asleep. Again, clearly he's not too concerned about this. Jonah is asleep down in, the, down in the hole. And they go down, they wake him up. And he says, well, this is probably my fault. You should just throw me over. <laughs> it was Jonah's idea. If you read the story, it was Jonah's idea. Just throw me overboard. We'll work it out. And they said, no, no, I don't want to do that. But eventually they concede, yes, we should throw you overboard. And they do. (laughs) And that's when the whole fish story comes up. And Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish thinking about what has got him into this predicament. Thinking about what God asked him to do. Thinking about his disdain for these people. 
and his love for his own people. Thinking about how nasty it is in this fish. And I got to say, it probably wasn't very good for the fish either because the Bible says that Jonah was thrown up onto the shore. Ooh, pretty gross. <laughs> the, the fish just yacked up Jonah up onto the shore. So when Karen says, what do you think Jonah did then? I'm thinking he took a bath, you know. He got, he got cleaned up. But Jonah says, okay, fine. Clearly, God, this is an important thing to you. You're, in, you're very insistent. I wish you would call someone else. So he goes to Nineveh, and Jonah, it's a big city. you got to know that. It's like New York, right? He goes down, he walks for three days into the middle of the city. And this is all he says. He stands there in the middle of the city, and he says, Ninevites, you got 40 days. Turn it around or God's going to wipe you out. And then he went and sat down. And I'll be darned if the king of Nineveh didn't say, okay, <laughs> what do we got to do? <laughs> and the king of Nineveh got down on his knees. He ripped his clothes. He poured ashes on his head. And he said, "We show us God. Show us what we need to do. Help us to repent. Help us to become the kind of people you want us to become Help us. Show mercy to us. And they turned it around, and God's wrath relented, and God shone them mercy and grace. And Jonah was disgusted. I knew it, he says. <laughs> I knew it. This is a, and this, uh, Jonah gets mad at God. You know, uh, I love the Old Testament. People aren't afraid to get mad at God. Jeremiah calls God a liar. And Jonah, Jonah goes, I knew it. I knew you were going to do this. I knew, God, that you were merciful and just and, and full of love. And I hate these people. I want you to wipe them out. I, oh, I knew it. <laughs> and he's mad. And he goes out into the edge of town and he sits underneath a fig tree and God trying to come up with some kind of object lesson to help Jonah along here withers the tree the tree withers and dies and the shade disappears and Jonah's exposed to the heat and he's like Pfft. well when it rains it pours here I am now look at this and finally Jonah just says I just as soon die God you just wipe me out and just let me die here and god is befuzzled by jonah's response and says are you kidding me you're so concerned about this bush and you're so upset about my mercy and grace to the ninevites what is this all about and no we're kicked out of their home by these people and so jonah had a lot of baggage when it came to the population of Nineveh. And the people who heard this story after the exile had a lot of baggage about the people of Babylon and the people of Assyria. They hated them. They despised them. They didn't trust them. And quite frankly, they prayed for bad things to happen to them. And this message comes to them from God. You don't get to hate people. 
because I love these people. In fact, not only people of God, do you not get to hate these people. I know they did bad things to you, and I'm sorry about that. Not only do you not get to hate them, but I need you to show them that I love them. And i got to tell you that we face this same dilemma sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? As followers of Jesus, I don't know how Jesus does it. But Jesus loves people that you and I would just rather not be around. Jesus loves people that not only you and I would not just find, you know, annoying, but Jesus loves people who we find repugnant. Jesus loves people beyond their own actions and their own them, themselves. Jesus loves people in a way that that only Jesus can explain to us. And that would be fine if not for the fact that Jesus says to you and to me, I need you to love them too. Because that's the only way they're going to know that I love them. Now i got to tell you, I, some, you know, there are people that it's easy to love and there are difficult people that I can manage to love. <laughs> In fact, if not for Jesus, some of y'all would get an earful. <laughs> right back at me, yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, you know, I saw a bumper sticker says that says, uh, Jesus loves you, but the rest of us think you're a, you fill in the... <laughs> that's how i feel sometimes and i got to tell you there are people out there that quite frankly jesus needs to do something i don't like i i i can't abide people who hurt children and and yet somehow god loves those people and i find that difficult but you know what as followers of jesus christ we don't get to hate we can we can be pretty pissed off (laughs) that's okay you don't get to hate because it's hate that that subjugates a people it's hate that hauls a people out of their homeland and away. It's hate that perpetuates violence and the awfulness of this world. And God says, the only way we're going to reconcile these problems we have is through love. It wouldn't benefit anybody if I wiped out Nineveh, God says to Jonah. But now there's How many people? 120,000 people who have experienced God's love and have turned their lives around in this story. And that's, that's the potential that God has given us through Jesus Christ. A transformed world. Transformed not through might, 
not through military might, not through economic might, not through imposition, but through love. Love that squashes fear. Love that squashes hate. Love that squashes irreconcilable differences. Love that transcends those things in this world that keep us apart. There's a lot out there working at that. And, you know, it's hard. There are going to be, in fact, there's going to be people walking in our door that we used to hate. Or that our first inclination is, wait a minute, not sure about that. But it is our calling to embrace a life of extraordinary love, extraordinary compassion, extraordinary reconciliation and forgiveness. It's not easy. It's not a children's story. Something that takes our whole heart and soul. And I'm amazed at people who can really do this. Do you remember a few years ago when the when the guy came in and shot up people in the Amish community. Remember that? And that community's response was to go spend time with that murderer in jail, praying for him, praying for his family, and, dare I say, loving him. How do they do that? That's amazing. How do they do that? By God's Holy Spirit through the love that Jesus Christ has lavished on you and me and lavished on a world that quite frankly doesn't deserve it. Yet it's the only way things are going to change. As Christians, we're not given the option to hate. We can't. Sorry. We're called to extraordinary love. A love that the world, quite frankly, doesn't even recognize. Let us pray. God, we hear this extraordinary story of Jonah. What an incredible story. And we hear it as a calling. As a reminder that You have called us to extraordinary love. Help us, God, to examine our own lives and seek out those places where, height, where hate and fear thrive. And may You give us the strength to begin to love even in difficult times, counting on the fact that You will give us what we need to accomplish that, knowing that we can't really do it of our own strength. May You show us the power of that love. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.